Welcome to Antelope Road Christian Fellowship. We're glad you're joining us for today's message. For service times or to join a disciple group, please visit myarcf.com. Good morning, church family. Thank you, worship team, and uh, thank you to the sound team. Thank you for serving us this morning in worship. It's great to be here with you. For those of you who are new, my name's Neil, and I have the privilege of serving as one of the elders here. Um, um, Unfortunately, um, Pastor Greg is not able to be with us this morning. Um, He and his family are are at home with a cold, sick in bed, and uh, our hearts go with with you, Greg. You're probably watching maybe this online, and so our hearts are with you this morning. He did, however, um, send a a brief letter, which I'll read to you. Um, ARCF, ARCF Foundation, Family, I, am, I have a cold, so I am not able to worship with you today as I would like. Still, I want us to receive strong teaching about marriage that will bless God, us, and the world. Today, we are watching two videos that constitute one sermon from Pastor John Piper. He is going to help us today with some parts of 1 Peter 3, verse 1 to 6, that may um, be offensive at first glance, but really are a blessing once explained. Please receive Pastor John with anticipation and attentiveness, just as if he were a special guest in the room with us today. I love you all and enjoy the teaching of God's word. So before we get into the, the video though, um, just by way of reminder of where we're at in terms of this uh, new series, a couple of weeks ago, Pastor Greg started a new series um, on uh, marriage and how marriage is Um, an example of of God's relationship with us. Um, Let me read to you just the um, the scripture in Ephesians 5, verse 31 to 32. um, Paul Paul refers to this relationship. He, He says, as the scripture says, a man leaves his father and mother and is joined to his wife and the two are united in one, into one. This is a great mystery, but it is an illustration of the way Christ and his church and the church are one. Um, and so Paul refers to this relationship as, as a mystery. And so this is what we're diving into, um, trying to unpack a little bit. But before, also just by way of my own introduction to this, again, as a reminder, um, I wanted to point out two things to us when, as we discuss going to marriage, first of all. Because why is this, why is this applicable to all of us? Um, you know, s- some of us here, are sitting and haven't been married, but maybe aspire to that. Some of us here are married. And then there are those that, that have been married and um, are not married anymore either by, by means of um, divorce or maybe you've lost a spouse. Um, and so this topic is really applicable to all of us because when we think of it, it really boils down to an example of how Jesus gave us a new commandment to love one another. And this is one of the relationships where it may be almost the toughest because we're so close living together and marriage is such a tough example, but it still exemplifies Jesus' relationship with his church. In, um, in John 13, verse 34, Jesus says, A new commandment I give you, love one another. As I have loved you, so you must love one another. And so Jesus, throughout his teachings, he demonstrated this throughout all the things that he did, through um, the teachings where he exemplified both grace and truth at the same time. He, teach, he, he taught on so many things. And one of them on marriage to the point where 
um, his disciples, he raised the bar on marriage so high that his disciples would come to him afterwards. Maybe it's better if we don't get married, they thought. So the thing is, though, even though the bar is so high, and I'll talk to, I'll talk to that in a minute because that applies to some of us here that may feel despondent when we talk about this topic, and I'll get to that as my second point. At the same time, Jesus presented both truth as, a, as something we, we aspire to, the ideal, but at the same time, he was always full of grace. And, um, and he demonstrated this relationship. He demonstrated what it means to, to love one another to the point of his sacrificial death at the end. And that's what he encourages us to do in marriage as well, to, to love one another to that, to that degree. Um, a few years later, we're, um, we're helped by Paul, where, where many of the um, additional writings that Paul gave, he helped us to understand how to put some handles on that. Where Jesus demonstrated that through his life, um, Paul goes ahead and, and teaches us a little bit more about all these one another's. How do we one another each other? And, um, and uh, let me just see... Um, and that's where he speaks about, about the scripture. And so the second point, lastly, I wanted to mention again is just for those who of you are in the room, when we talk about marriage, this is maybe a point where you feel despondent and you put your pen down and think, well, maybe this is not for me. Maybe, you've, maybe this ideal marriage is just not your reality and you just haven't had the privilege of either growing up in a, in a home where you saw that or maybe you're, you, you were in a marriage and it didn't work out and you, you divorced and you think that, that, that this is not for you and there's, there's no hope for you. And I, again, I want to remind us all that we, even, so for me, if I, if I was going to talk about marriage and, not, and, and disregard that, that would be unkind for me to even not, not bear, that, bear that in mind that, that this is not necessarily the, the reality for everybody that's in the, in the room. But at the same time, it's our responsibility to, just as Jesus showed, we point to the ideal, but at the same time, Jesus is full of grace. When Jesus um, spoke about these topics, he didn't dumb down the truth, but at the same time, for the sake of the next generation, we show what the ideal is, but we come alongside and in the same way that Jesus did, we, we're full of grace for, for those of who, who have not had, who that, that reality is not, not the same for, for each one of us. So as we dive into this video, just keep that in mind. Um, uh, Pastor Piper is, is really good at breaking down this, this, this topic that's, that's maybe a, a, um, a challenging scripture. And um, thank you very much. I look forward to listening to it with you guys. Now, let me say one more thing before we move on, before we turn to the husbands. Um, what is submission not, according to this text? When I preached on this probably 20 years ago, I found the women in my church found this really helpful. Because we bring to the text pre-suppositions, from our experience, like, okay, submission means this, 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 and this, and five of those look horrible to you, and two look okay. 
And if you, if you bring to the Bible your preconceptions, you might just throw the baby out with the bathwater and say, if that's what it means, I'm out of here, which would be very, very sad. You may be right, you may be wrong, but it would be sad. So here, I wrote six of them down, and I think you'll be able to see them in the text. What submission is not? Number one, submission is not agreeing on everything like the Christian faith, because this guy's an unbeliever. So if in that culture he said, you can't have that religion, we worship ISIS, or we worship whatever, she says, I'm sorry. Which means it is possible to be submissive and refuse to think what your husband says you should think. Has to be. I mean, this text doesn't make sense without that. She has, she has sworn allegiance to Jesus. Jesus is now her Lord, her King. She's an alien and an exile in this marriage. This husband belongs to another God, and she is called to live with him. Don't get divorced over issues of religion. Which means, if he says, I don't want you to be a Christian, what, what does she say? She says, I love you. I want to be submissive to you. I intend to be submissive to you. But on this point, I have no choice. I belong to Jesus. And he may send her away. That happened in 1 Corinthians 7. The unbeliever splits, which would be a great tragedy. So, submission does not mean you must agree with the opinions of your husbands, even on things like the Christian faith. God has made you with a mind. You have to think. You are a person, not a body and not a respondent mechanism here. You, you're a thinking being who is able to process whether the gospel is true. And if it's true, you believe it. And if he says, you can't believe that, you, you, you humbly and submissively don't submit to that. You see that? That's implied here clearly. Number two, um, submission does not mean leaving the brain at the altar. Now, maybe that's the same thing. But it needs to be said that way leaving the brain at the altar. Any man who says, I do the thinking in this family, is sick. And there are, there are sick views of authority. I dealt with a couple one time, and she said, he, he demands that I get permission to go to the bathroom. That's real. And I, I just looked at him and I said, you're not well. You have such an unbelievably distorted view of this fellow heir of the grace of life. You don't get Bible texts. You're taking a word like authority or lead or her word submit, and then you're stepping away from the Bible and filling up with stuff you want to do. You're not, you're not getting this from the Bible. So, when I say submission does not leave the brain at the altar, I mean all through the marriage, he is reckoning with an independent 
mental center that has thoughts that are worth listening to. The one flesh union, leadership does not mean talk, listen. Leadership doesn't even mean always get the last word. Leadership often says, you were right, I was wrong. Leadership is taking initiative. Sometimes I say, who says let's more often in your relationship? Let's go out to eat. Let's, let's try to get our finances in order. Let's get to church on time next Sunday. A, a hundred let's. Who says it most often? If it's the wife, got a problem. And the problem is with the guy. If it's the guy, she's probably happy because she's tired of having to say let's over and over again. Can we, let's, let's get the car fixed, please. I, I said that last week. Let's get to church on time and you're always late. Let's, let's, wives don't want to say let's most often. In general, I know I'm generalizing. Leadership means a bent towards initiative that women thrive under. Not, dic not dictation, not never listening, not even having the last word. My, my wife, if, you, if, if she were here and you ask her, so what does submission look like for you guys? One of the things she'd say is, okay, we settled the principle early that if we can't agree, Johnny's going Johnny's to make the call. That's real basic. Almost never happens, right? Almost never happens. One reason it almost never happens, we've been together a long time, we know what each other thinks, but... It's because I yield. Often. I yield. I, I, don't have, I don't need, don't have to have the last word. Like we're putting in a counter in the basement. And I thought 72 inches would be right. Yeah, I think that's too long. I think that creates a space that's too small there. I said, yeah, but it's more space on top for putting out the dishes and stuff. And back and forth, back and forth. I called her yesterday and said, just call it. Do it. Little things like that. Hundreds of them. Right? You don't. Um, number three, not a, submission does not mean avoiding the effort to influence or change the husband. Avoiding the effort to influence or change the husband. The whole point of the text is win him. <laughs> win him. Her life is devoted to changing this husband from an unbeliever to a believer. I mean, can you imagine if somebody said submission means Stop trying to change your husband. Well, I get what they might be saying. I mean, I already said, if you've tried 20 years to change each other, put it in the compost pile. But if your husband is living in sin, or your wife is living in sin or unbelief, you want them to change. And you wouldn't be a loving person if you didn't. And that may sound insubordinate to some. It's not, biblically. Number four, Submission is not putting the will of the husband before the will of Christ. Submission is not putting the will of the husband before the will of Christ. Christ is her Lord now, and for the Lord's sake, she will submit to the husband. But he's not her Lord. And so wherever the two have to be chosen between, she chooses Jesus. If he says, let's get involved in a scam, let's have group sex, her, her choice is clear. I go with Jesus on this. And, and, and she would say it not with a haughty, arrogant, 
but rather with a long, he, he will be able to discern in her a longing that he not do that so that she could enjoy him as her leader. You feel that? I, I will not follow your lead on this, and I'm not following it with a demeanor that makes you know I want to follow your leadership. And I can't in this, in this moment, this way. Number five, submission does not mean getting all her spiritual strength through her husband. Submission does not mean getting all of her spiritual strength through her husband. He's not giving her any spiritual strength in this text. And she's got lots of it. Her hope is in God. She's probably going to church on Lord's Day morning before he gets up. Getting her strength elsewhere. Getting her worldview elsewhere. And number six, uh, submission does not mean acting in fear. She's fearless. So, I love the scriptures. I'm a complementarian. I believe that men are called to a unique kind of leadership in marriage. I believe that women are called to a unique kind of submission in marriage. And I think it's a beautiful thing. And I think if we, if we probe the depths and keep digging into the scriptures, even though they're written in another time, they will uh, shape a marriage into a beautiful thing. So I would define submission like this. Submission is the divine calling of a wife to honor and affirm her husband's leadership and so, to help carry it through according to her gifts. Submission is the divine calling of a wife to honor and affirm her husband's leadership. So she's saying to him, when he says, you can't be a Christian, she is, she is saying back to him, I want to honor you and affirm you as my leader. On this point, Christ has called me to believe. Therefore, if you say don't believe, I have to choose Christ. But she affirms his leadership in that very act. Honor and affirm her husband's leadership and to help carry it through according to her gifts. I think that's the point of Genesis. He made a helper fit for him. This world is, is, is called into being to have a husband and a wife in a marriage pulling together with her gifts that are so different from his, she may outclass him in five things. Finances, uh, perception of other people and how to relate to them, gifts of hospitality, um, intelligence for dealing with stupid theological positions, just on and on, she may be his superior. Got no problem with that. I had a couple in my church. He had an eighth grade education. She was a college graduate. They're still married. They've probably been married now 45 years. And uh, he was very simple. Had dyslexic difficulties in reading. She's verbal as can be. And, uh, and they heard me preach on this 30 years ago that a wife should submit to her husband. And they came to see me. And he just said, She's better than me at everything. She's better than me at everything. He was a painter. So I didn't argue. I said, you can probably paint better. But that was beside the point. <laughs> and I said, okay. I totally get that. My wife's better than me at lots of things too. I think that has zero to do with who's the leader. He's like, wow. Competency doesn't matter? No, it doesn't matter. 
It doesn't matter. I mean, the whole world has gone the competency route. If she's smarter, she's the leader. Okay? That's not, that's not the Bible way. I said to him, look, let's, let's do this. They had three kids, little kids at that time. They're all grown now. I said, okay, so it's devotions time. You do devotions? No. Try. Okay. We're going to start having devotions. Family devotions. You're the leader. And he said, I have a hard time just reading out loud. I said, I know that. I know that. Not a problem. Not a problem. We're not talking about giftedness and competencies here. Can you say, hey, James. Hey, Sally. Hey, Michael. Hey, wife. I don't want to give the name away. Those weren't the real names of the kids. I'm trying to stay. Come on. Come on in here. Can you do that? Can you say that? Yeah, I can say that. Good. Okay, that's leadership. And now sit him down in the living room. You got a Bible? Yep. You know how to get it? Yep. Okay. Go get it. You get the Bible. Say, we're going to have devotions. We're going to start having devotions after supper every night. Everybody said, whoa, where'd you go, Dad? And, and uh, I said, okay, next, take the Bible and say, anybody got a favorite verse? Got a favorite verse? Yeah, okay. Here you go, Jane. That's the wife. We'll call her Jane. Jane, read, read that verse for us. Can you do that? Yep. Can you say, let's pray? Yep. Can you say, thank you, Father, for Jesus who loved us? Amen? Yep. Done. That's all I want. Just do that every night. It's over. You don't need to see me again. I totally do not believe that leadership is dependent on competency. She's... Most of you women are ahead of your husbands. I get that. I mean, I was just totally... I went to Wheaton College. The, the, the admission standards of women at Wheaton College are so off the charts in relation to men, they all break the curve. They're all intelligent beyond words. They're all physicists, you know, chem chemists and literary scholars and, and whatnot. I went to that school. I... I, I was 19th in my graduating class from Wade Hampton High School in Greenville, and all the people ahead of me were women. 19 of them. 18. I, <laughs> math was a problem. <laughs> my mother, my dad was gone all the time preaching the gospel. My mother did everything. She taught me how to cut the grass. She taught me how to make pancakes when the bubbles appear around the edge. You know, it's ready to flip over. She taught me to make the, 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 the French fries. In the, in the, we had a big French fries thing. She's got to be boiling before you put the fries in. Otherwise, they're going to be soggy when you take them out. And, and how to, how to get Bermuda grass out and how to push a wheelbarrow and how to do a checkbook. My mother taught me everything. She was omnicompetent. So here's my mom. Here's Wade Hampton High School. Here's Wheaton College. Women are smarter. I know this. I get that. It just has nothing to do with leadership. In the home, at least, smart women are happy to have less smart men say, let's have devotions. At least if they're Christian, they are. Okay, I've probably spent too much time on the women here. <laughs>
Why is that? I really wonder why that is. It's a pretty dense verse. Um, my guess is it's because the, the women were more uh, imperiled. They're, culturally, they're, they're in a harder situation than men. And they need more guidance, more encouragement, more help because they're, I mean, they're, they're going to follow Jesus in a situation where the husband's not following Jesus. They need help. But what does that mean? Maybe. But anyway, here, husbands, likewise, that's an important word. It's the same thing we saw back with the masters in Ephesians 6 where it says, uh, masters, do the same, do the same. So here's likewise. So wait a minute, she's submitting to me. Now likewise, kind of, hmm, what does that mean? Likewise, husbands, live with your wives in an, in an understanding way. Literally, it's according to knowledge. We'll come back to that. That's the first thing. So that's number one. Live or dwell with your wives according to knowledge. Number two, showing honor to the woman as the weaker vessel. So honor as weaker vessel may offend you, but we'll see if it should offend you. Um, since, three, they are heirs with you of the grace of of life. And then motive so that your prayers may not be hindered. So let's take those one at a time. Live together with your wife um, according to knowledge. Knowledge of what? Understanding of what? Everything relevant. Her you, God, his word, the world, the situation, the kids. You know, those men, gird up the loins of your mind. <laughs> you got stuff to think about here. I'm reading a biography right now of John Knox, brand new one by Jane Dawson, real heavy-duty biography. And Knox married Marjorie, 1556, heads back to Geneva. Her, her mother leaves her father, because he's not a Protestant, goes to Geneva with her daughter who just married John Knox. John Knox has been this renegade preacher traveling all over Europe to preach, and now he's got a wife, and she's pregnant within a few months. And, and Jane Dawson, as she's writing this biography, is describing what a shock this was for him to now have to think about a woman in his house. That she might have needs. She might have expectations. That this is different. I've just done whatever I feel like doing, and now there's a woman in my bedroom and kitchen and living room all day and night with a brain and a, and a real soul and a, a, a consciousness outside of myself that I must interact with you see what that, I mean, that's really big. I mean, marriage is big. It is, nothing's more life-changing, perhaps, than conversion to Jesus than being married to somebody forever, as long as you live, as long as you both shall live. We're, we're, we're together. You, you must start studying her. I mean, 
continue studying her. Don't start at marriage. Start before. Study her. Study your responses to her. Nothing will bring out your sin more than your wife or daughter. I mean, uh, husband. Marriage is a great sanctifying anvil. Just we discover the sediment in the clear, sweet beaker of our life when she shakes it. This is marriage is wonderful if you can live with constant conviction of sin. Because if I were alone and Noel weren't an independent consciousness drawing out of me uh, things, I I probably think I was a pretty good fellow. (laughs) But my children and my wife are, are human beings and they elicit responses which I must often repent of. So I need to know me and I will get to know me in marriage. I need to know her. I need to know the Word. Man, you can't lead her without the Word. So, this is a call, men, to read, study, think, meditate, and ponder, and talk to her. She knows her better than you know her, at least at first. Maybe not in the end. That's an interesting thought, but it's not a marriage seminar. At least it didn't used to be. (laughs) She knows her. Talk to her. Really, ask her what she feels, feels about this or that. Ask her about that response. Ask her, ask her, ask her. Constantly learn from her about her and about her view of you and about her view of the kids. And date your wife. There's a whole book by that name, right? Date your wife. So we did it on Mondays. Monday was our date, called the state of the marriage date. How are we doing? Monday noon. How are we doing in ministry? Schedule okay? Anything you want me to change? I mean, I'm, I, I, I offered my wife my life for change every Monday. I felt like that's, that's the way that the church needs Christ, right? Love your wife as Christ loved the church. And... and uh, I'm not Christ, and so I need help to know how to be Christ to her. That is, how to serve her, love her, die for her. And so I'm offering myself anything in my life or our lives right now that you would like to see different so that you could flourish. I think that's leadership. That's leadership. You might think, like, Whoa, what do you mean? You just made her the leader. No, I didn't. And she knows I didn't. I'm informing my leadership with her perception of life, which is a perception that on some things is more accurate than mine. We got some stuff going on in our family right now that I can't talk to you about. It's just so difficult. And I am taking Noel into account on every step I make in these relationships. I'm sending her my emails before I send them to anybody else. I'm asking. And she usually comes back to me with golden insight. Golden make my email to such and such better. That's what wives are for and husbands. But So knowledge, men. We need her, her brain. We need her thoughts. We need to know her, know ourselves, know the word. Second, showing honor to the woman as the weaker vessel. Not 
one single sport in the Olympics is men against women. Why? Not one. I mean, not even diving. Come on. <laughs> These women can dive as well as men. Not a splash. Not a splash. It's just the men made a little splash. Why don't they compete in diving? They do? Did I get it wrong? Well, anyway, most sports. <laughs> well, the, the reason there's no NBA for men and women together is because men are stronger, faster. They knock them down too often. They're banging into each other. I mean, basketball is a new sport. When I was a young person, it was a foul to touch somebody. And now you're supposed to weigh 300 pounds so you can push people around. And that's called basketball. But I know the playoffs are coming and I'll probably watch them. Um, the reason is because the woman is the weaker vessel. This is just a, a, uh, a simple anatomical, biological fact. It's not a statement about woman's weak faith or weak mind or weak soul. That's been dispelled in verses 1 through 6. This woman is fearless. This woman is hoping in God. This woman has a deep tranquility of spirit that probably runs circles around her husband's anxieties. That's not the point. The point is, if there's a thief... Guy, step up. I, I'll give you an illustration. Um, now, this, this will sound almost contradictory, but um, if a guy, I, I gave this illustration to the students at Bethel. They didn't, you know, in those days, uh, back in the 70s, my views were obscene to a lot of people, these, these views that I'm giving you here. Um, of complementarity. But I was, I was giving them the students, ah, what about this? What about this? And the women, what about this? And I say, look, if, if, if a guy invites a woman to go to McDonald's over there across the highway and you're walking and it's dusk and you're walking together and uh, he happens to learn from her that she has got a black belt in karate and he, he's never even fought anybody. And a guy jumps out from behind a bush with a knife to threaten them. I say to the guys, I don't care what kind of training she has to disarm him, you step out first. That's what it means to be a man. I don't give a rip about competencies here. You step up, get her behind you, and say to that jerk, over my dead body, will you touch her? That's man talking. That is what men are supposed to do. So, he tries to wrestle with a guy. He gets cut on the ground, and she disarms the guy, levels him out flat. Okay. That's just fine with me. That is just fine because in principle, this honor to the woman as the weaker vessel is a, is a principle of honor that is written, I believe, into the heart of men and into the heart of women to receive 
And unless for sin distorting it, it gets played out beautifully with default behaviors like that. Even if she happens to be in that point, on that point, more competent in disarming a guy because of training or whatever. So the honor here, I think, is built in the fact that from time immemorial, the men are the warriors who have to defend the village against the attacking troops. They're not going to put their women out there to do that for them. They know that if they put the women out against male warriors coming at them, the women are going to be overrun. The village will be destroyed. This is not what we do. And frankly, I got strong opinions about women in combat, but you didn't, you didn't stand up for that, so I won't, I won't go there any more than I just did. Number two, three, since they are heirs, so, so let me say one more word, sum up word. So number two, I think, means that men are not only the uh, spiritual default initiative takers and leaders in the family, they are the protectors. They bear the weight of protection. Even if the wife might at certain points might be more competent in certain ways to know what kind of bars to put on the window or locks to put on the door or how to get out the back door when the thief came in the front door. I mean, she may be way ahead of him in a lot of ways. His mindset is, I protect this woman. I don't expect her to protect me. I protect her. Number three, since they are heirs with you of the grace of life, so that you're uh, heirs with you of the grace of life. So men, let this sink in and dwell on it long and hard. Fellow heir, so heir comes from the inheritance back in chapter one. We are born again to a living hope, to an inheritance undefiled, unfading, imperishable, kept in heaven for you, and she's got the same one. She's going to be a queen of the universe someday. You sleep with a queen. You sleep with an heiress of the world. That's not an exaggeration. You sleep with an heiress of the world, the earth. That should have an effect on you in terms of kindness, respect, tenderness, listening, marveling at what you have in this house. We're not amazed enough at the marvel of who we are, representing Christ, representing the church, fellow heir of the grace of life. We don't marvel enough at the wonder of our wives or our husbands. And if you don't do those, your prayers get hindered. What does that mean? We're almost done. We're going to take a break here in just a few minutes. What does that mean? So that your prayers may not be hindered. I'm not sure. Because it might mean where two or three are gathered together in my name, there I am in the midst of them to do special things. You get two. And if you're not together, then the agreement won't happen and the prayer won't get answered. Where two are gathered together in my name, and if, they're, if you're at odds like this and you're not 
living together according to knowledge and showing honor and uh, esteeming her as a fellow heir of the grace of life so that there's some sweet spiritual harmony there, then when you try to come together in prayer, the agreement won't be there. It might mean something like that. Or, I think two other possible meanings, maybe they're all true. Uh, Another one would be, when a husband is selfish and is, is, is just all wrapped up in himself and, and not living in an understanding way and when he's not honoring her and when he's not marveling at the fact that she is an heir with him, he's sinning and sinning people find a hard time praying. I mean, just think of the last time you were at odds with each other and it was your fault. You were mouthy or you were neglectful or something and your conscience was bothering you and how sweet was your prayer time? Or finally, it might mean that um, it's almost the same as number one, I suppose, but this is the one that's most immediately relevant to my 46 years. It might mean you can't pray together. Kneel down together. Pray freely together because there's such tension between you. Now just, and let me encourage you here to do what we've tried to do. I think that a husband and wife should pray together daily. Besides praying with the kids at meal times or devotion times. Now, I don't want to make anybody feel terrible. Just if you think this is a good idea, start doing it. Um, I mean at night before you go to bed or, or some other time during the day, it's just the two of you and you commit your life, your kids, your finances, your home, your health, everything. You're just daily saying, we're, we're here for you. We submit to you. Our marriage is for you and, and pray. And if there's lots of things to pray about, pray longer, but you don't have to pray long, but together. And one of the reasons I suggest that, besides the fact that God will act for you and do wonderful things, is because it is a wonderful barometer of the marriage. So, we have for years and years and years knelt beside our bed before we go to bed, and I've, as the leader, I kneel first to invite her to kneel. And there have been times when we can scarcely talk to each other haven't had sex for three or four weeks. It's bad. And I kneel. My wife is submissive. She kneels. We can't talk. Now, you can view that as pure hypocrisy, right? (laughs) How can you come before the throne, first go get your matter settled, and then come and offer your gift? We've tried. 33 months in counseling. How how long do you have to try before you start praying again? No. We won't go there. We will get down on our knees, and John Piper, the leader, will say one word. Help. Amen. And we'll get into bed and put our backs to each other. And I'm glad. Because we're through those times. We're through. Why are we through? Probably in one reason, because we did that. 
That was pure obedience to my God. I didn't want to do that. I didn't want to talk to her. I didn't want to look vulnerable. I didn't want to admit I was wrong or she didn't want to admit she was wrong. So we're on our knees. And I say, men, men, do this because it'll be a barometer of how it's going. And it was a barometer. It's going bad. But what a... I mean, there'll be times I can remember I just didn't want to say anything. I'm just kneeling there. And I said, you're the leader. You've taught everybody in the world that you're supposed to lead. <laughs> do it. And all I could do was say, God, help us. We need your help. Amen. That's leadership. Crummy, lousy, no good, inadequate leadership, but real necessary at that moment leadership. Amen. Well, we're going to go ahead and have our announcement video now, and then I'm going to pray for us, and then uh, we'll get out of here. So, all right, go ahead and uh, watch the video this morning. Good morning, church family. All right, this Saturday is the day. The two-for-one cleaning and refreshing opportunity that I told you about last week. We want to get our playground ship shape for the fall and our kitchen looking brand new. So we really hope that you'll join us this coming Saturday to help us out. And remember, many hands make light work. All right, the second announcement is a two-parter. Ladies, the Christian Women's Connection Fall Convention is just right around the corner on Saturday, October 16th. And it's going to be held right here at ARCF. If you haven't signed up, please make sure you head over to myarcf.com forward slash CWC to sign up. Now, the second part is for you fellows out there. More specifically, you dads. Now, you might be asking, what does the CWC convention have to do with me? I am so glad that you asked that question. Well, your wives might want to come to this awesome event, and you might have tiny humans running around the house that take up a lot of mom's time. So, we just want to encourage you to make plans for that day to keep your kiddos busy so your wife can attend this conference. So make sure you mark your calendars, Saturday, October 16th. Hello, ARCF slash Foundation Church. It's Conrad, the youth pastor here, with an incredible opportunity to allow you to serve in our community. Some of you who have grown up in Citrus Heights are familiar with the street called Sayonara Drive that it has a reputation of not being the greatest neighborhood. But the city of Citrus Heights knew this and partnered with Youth for Christ, a Christian organization, to start a community center there where they could affect the community and, and, and give a positive influence, especially to the young people uh, of that area. And, spoiler alert, it worked. Jesus, our Savior, who transformed sinners into saints, has been doing the same thing with this community. And you can be a part of this work that is happening. When I was a young youth, my youth pastor used to take us to the Sayonara Community Center and, and allow us to volunteer, help the younger kids with their homework. And that's where I started getting connected there and I volunteered there as an adult and I even got to work there for a couple of years. Now I'm just a volunteer and you can do that too. The Sayonara Community Center mostly functions as an after-school center, meeting from 3.30 p.m. to 5.30 p.m., serving kids an after-school meal, 
tutoring them with their homework and uh, just giving them a safe place to hang out, play some basketball, play some football. It's really great. But to keep this up, they need your help. Yes, you. Uh, most volunteers just choose one day a week and show up, serve for a couple of hours, and become this constant presence in these students' lives and affect their lives for good by being this positive, Jesus-filled role model. And that could be you if you want to help out. If that's something that you think you might be interested in, feel free to contact me. My email is conrad at myarcf.com and I will get you connected to Julie Habib, who's the site coordinator there, has grown up in Citrus Heights, went to this Sunrise Community Church youth group, uh, and she loves to serve these young people and would love to find the role that is best fit for you, either serving food, um, helping with homework, or there might even be other ways to serve. But if you're interested, please don't hesitate to reach out. We want to be a part of this organization whose entire purpose is to connect young people to Jesus and connect them to the church where they can learn more about him. So for now, sign on. Thank you, Conrad. Now before I go, I just want to remind all of you who are new or sort of new to our congregation that Pastors and Pastries will be starting in just a few minutes in the office. Our staff and pastors are excited to get to know you. All right, church family, that's all I've got for you. As always, please make sure you grab yourself a bulletin, read it left to right, front to back, for more events and more information. pastors and pastries we're actually not having that today because pastor greg is not here so all of that is true except it's next week so if you are new-ish here next week um also i just want to uh, mention in two weeks we're going to have one more vote on the church name and that is whether we are going to add community or christian uh to the name or if it's going to be foundation church so just a heads up on that that'll be happening in two weeks I'm going to pray for us, and then we're going to go. Lord Jesus, God, I thank you so much for the word today. Um, I thank you for this um, institution that you created of marriage, Lord. And I just pray uh, that you bless each marriage here um, and just uh, bless our fathers and mothers and um, just allow us all to be uh, what we are supposed to be through you. And um, God, we thank you for this day. We thank you for uh, the fellowship and um, I just pray right now that everybody's uh, week is wonderful and, and um, that there are just uh, so, many, so many ways that we can praise you during the week, Lord. We love you and it's in your name we pray. Amen. All right. Thank you, guys.